Hey, it's Ben. I'm really wanting to give a shout out to the people who have been joining up on our Discord server and have been talking about their experiences from the Tales and Heroes episodes and the interactions we're getting on Twitter. It's been phenomenal. Just on account of the different stories, the way it's been affecting people, it's been like really, really heartwarming. So thank you. Please keep it up. You can find links to the Discord server on thehydeanway.com. Do want to give a shout out to Seamus Connolly who gave us a coffee, and you can be like them at ko-fi.com slash thehydeanway. Or you can become a patron, and you can help out the shows on the regular at patreon.com slash thehydeanway. Thank you, and now on to the show. full up, but I squeeze in between a Twi'lek and a gank. I put some creds into the pot to buy in, and make sure everything is in place for when I need it. Being sure that Risa has this game well in hand, I land at the bar with the other pilots and buy them around. Welcome to a winding tale from the Hydean Way, where your host Ben Yendel and Risa D. One of the things that keeps coming back in my planning for any game, and yeah, even the ones that I'm almost completely improvising, I still try and plan out a bit. What it is that I'm trying to plan out is consequences. When I create a scene, I'm generally trying to create the triumvirate of paths. Because I figure at some point, the players are going to try and shoot their way out. Because, well, Bronto. I'm figuring <laughs> that the players are going to try and talk their way out. Because, well, it's a common thing. And, I mean, Genesis and Star Wars is so good for the social aspect. There's so many skills that you can use. As opposed to, I try and intimidate them. I try and charm them. I also try and come up with a tech thing for them to do. Like, use the environment or something. Like, there's a thing where I'm not interacting with the NPCs. And that's sort of the third thing that I try and come up with. Yeah, how do I get around this situation? (laughs) Exactly. Because players are always trying to, oh no, there are too many stormtroopers because there's a dozen of them. And this is a half-competent player group. I mean... Yeah, sure, stormtroopers hurt the first time they shoot you, but after that, they're pretty simple. So when I'm starting up, like, even a basic adventure, I've gotten, like, a basic plot. Okay, this lieutenant has uh, done some dastardly deed to the players, and now the players need to do something. Like, this lieutenant's withholding payment from them because, well, this lieutenant doesn't like the way that the players did their job. And because that, Like, this is the underworld. There's no reason for them to pay. No one's absolutely saying they have to. There's no one that they can say, well, these guys didn't pay me on a smuggling operation. Well, there's a perfectly good reason why this lieutenant isn't doing that. It's like, oh, well, they delivered it, but they delivered it to the wrong place or something along that lines. Or something didn't go right with the drop-off and these are the people to blame because the cargo didn't get to where it was needing to go. They don't get their money. Or they dump their spice at the first sign of an imperial blockade. I mean, like, things happen. You've got this basic plot. Yes, you're trying to take out the Pirate Queen. Yes, you're trying to better the fortifications for this planet. You're trying to track down the dastardly Bandindoba. (laughs) There's a couple other things that they could be doing. I mean, they could just be trying to survive a small little trip from point A to point B on a nice Nebulon B frigate. There can be pretty small stakes that you start off with, but 
then players do things. And they do things in certain ways. And it's the reactions that the world has to the players that make the players feel in it. It actually makes the world feel more interactive. Yes. Instead of just a backdrop. Because if it can feel kind of like animatronics, right? Or like a robocaller where you answer <laughs> and you go, hello, and they go, hello, how are you? And you go, I'm fine, how are you? And they're like, good, would you like to? And you go, oh, okay, they're just going to say whatever, no matter what I say. So that's like, if you are just going to do whatever you plan on doing, no matter what your players decide to do, if your players decide to go through and burn down an entire village, I don't know what they're going to do. And you just kind of go, okay, well, I planned for them to still, you know, at the end of the session, they still completed the other thing they were supposed to do. So I'm still going to give them that reward. It then just feels like, okay, I'm just like on a ride. I'm not interacting with the story. But if you make their actions have consequences, then everything feels like it means more and it makes it feel like what you do matters to the story and it makes you feel more immersed in the story. It's like, yeah, you guys, you know, delivered what you were supposed to deliver, but then you set the village on fire. No, we're not going to pay you. <laughs> we're going to turn you into the sector rangers, actually. And now we don't have to pay you. Yeah, you did what we wanted, but then we found out that you guys did this amazing crime. Which, you know, good for you. However, now we don't have to pay you and we can collect your bounty. Win-win for us. And now everyone's going, oh, okay, well, consequences. As soon as you're in, like, even a session, the players have things that can be acted upon. Always depending on what the players are doing, you can have the NPCs reacting to it and then building the story on, like, the reactions from the reactions from the reactions. And it just sort of turns into this chain reaction of what are the NPCs doing? That's the reason why I like using lieutenants in my first adventure because there's someone up the chain. They yeah. can go through and they can kill the lieutenant if they so want to or they can talk them into abandoning their post and signing up with a alien civilization. Yeah. That was a weird Zon book. Um, <laughs> it's uh, sort of baked into the obligation mechanic and the concept behind it, it's much more baked into the favor economy of yeah. the Android setting in First Shadow of the Beanstalk. All that is is helping you as a GM or you as a player coming up with, well, what did these characters do? If you've listened to Act 1 of Mask of the Pirate Queen, you can tell that any of the actual pirates dealing with the Hydean heroes are really probably not going to take prisoners or be willing to surrender that much. <laughs> uh, they might be willing to surrender because nothing ever really happened to the ones that did. But if they get into a fight, it's definitely going to be like a no-quarters fight. Mm. You barbecue a few of the NPCs, <laughs> the rest of them are going to remember. How the players act in a combat matters. Are they bringing out the disruptor weapons? Like, oh, God. Exactly. If the players are bringing out disruptor weapons, how is everyone else hearing about that? Because you can't tell me that the distinctive sound of a disruptor pistol isn't known and isn't heard. 
Yeah. People are probably going to be reporting blaster fire. So if they then start hearing things that don't sound like blasters firing, then all the blasters firing stops. They're going to report that too. Yeah. <gasps> there was this firefight, and then all of a sudden, a lot of smoke happened, and the place caught on fire. And it caught on fire really, really quick. <laughs> oh, were the players using their flame projectors again? <laughs> or just, we've brought this one up several times, lightsabers. Oh, yeah. People bringing out lightsabers. And what's that going to do? I mean, that's immediately going to get people's attention. You don't have lightsabers. People don't use lightsabers. <laughs> so if in, if in an era outside of Clone Wars or Old Republic, you bring out a lightsaber, people are going to, f to report that. <laughs> even in like the Old Republic or even in the Clone Wars, a lightsaber is an implication. Yeah. It's like, if you pull out a lightsaber and threaten someone with it, the implication is, you know how to use it. It's like pulling out a sword or a machete now. The implication is, I know how to use this. If we get into a fight, you're going to be lopping limbs off. Yep. I just started reading Claudia Gray's Master and Apprentice, Star Wars book. And mm -hmm. inside the first chapter, there is someone pulling out a lightsaber that isn't, or at least I'm still in the scene. They don't appear to be a Jedi, but when they pull it out, oh yes, everyone starts treating that character like they're a Jedi. Yeah. Like, you certainly don't act like a Jedi. Essentially asking for credentials, if in a roundabout fashion. But there's a consequence to it. Like, now this person has really upped their threat levels. People are going to be more likely to start trying to shoot them. Yeah. And if you think that it's an actual Jedi, shooting them doesn't matter. You might get lucky and hit, or it's going off into a wall and no one getting hurt. Yeah. That's kind of what happens with, especially Jedi and lightsabers. No one gets hurt. <laughs> Except for our limbs, you know. It's the age of cybernetics. I mean, really. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. That, that, that limb is fine. But it's not even just in, like, fights and stuff. Just other things have consequences, too. And sometimes it's not just the actions the players take. Sometimes it's the roles they make that can Ooh, yes. leave consequences. Some of the things that I specifically like doing is using excessive threats or despairs to do things like instead of immediately doing something in the scene is to be like, okay, well, you just got three threat when trying to unlock that door. Now you've broken the lock. Someone will know you've been in here. So this is a consequence. You are no longer being undetected in trying to sneak around. Someone will know that someone is trying to sneak around. Now it's going to be harder to sneak around. Yeah, that makes sense. That kind of stuff. I think that this is a great system for using rules for consequences, to be honest, because we have threats just lying around there being beautiful for consequences. Exactly. Especially when it's a role I don't think they really should have made. <laughs> but I let them make, and then they get a bunch of threat, and I'm like, oh, look. Look at that. Maybe you shouldn't have tried to use Skullduggery on that electric fence. You seem to have passed out now. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> that might have happened at some point. I was like, you've gone one, one strain over your threshold by being electrocuted by that fence. Ooh. Yeah, she got a despair. And I was like, Oof. okay, you've gone one strain over your threshold. <laughs> That's wonderfully brutal. 
Yeah. I mean, why was she using a screwdriver on an electric fence? That is a reasonable question. There were two people, three people there with magic. Oh, right. In that case. I'm just, I was just like... just thinking to two by four, but sure. <laughs> Don't worry, I got this. I'll just skullduggery it. I'll just take out my screwdriver and... Like, what? what is wrong with you? You, sh- you sure you want to do that? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Have fun. Using threat in that fashion. Like, that is that is a beauty of this system, where if you use the threat, you can, like, okay, I've got two here for an immediate action, but I'm going to keep this third one here. Instead of just giving a strain or something, because, well, that's boring. It's going to be, okay, you've got two for this immediate reaction, like, yeah, you are zapped or something. All of a sudden, this stormtrooper is not taking a liking to you and thinks that you're up to something. You may have succeeded, but, well, now there's a consequence to it. Yeah. Then there's that one where this huge meta thing of, and then you can do the get six threat, and then kapoof, an extra patrol appears or something. I love building up threat. I love tallying it to the side and having it build up. That is one of my favorite things to do in a session. And have, like, a specific threshold. At the beginning of my session, I'm like, okay, if they get six extra threat in this session that I take to the side, then people know that they've been snooping around. Someone has spotted them. That's that's what's going to happen. If they roll enough threat during the session, that extra threat, then that's what happens. Because like- if they are just rolling things to roll, then, <laughs> the th- you know... Yeah. The threats are going to start adding up. Oh, as they should. I mean, if you want to go completely meta in this, you can also do something that's along that lines with either successes or advantage. That, like, okay, yes, I'm banking this threat. If the player group decides to bank so much advantage, something good could happen as well. Hmm, that's actually a good thing. I could be like, okay, if you guys want to save up your advantage and you reach this much extra advantage... I have something special in store. That'd be a fun thing to see what they choose to do. That's just like an experiment now I want to do and see if people want to use advantage for the group and save it or if people want to still spend advantage on themselves to do something in the moment. That's just an interesting experiment. (laughs) I kind of like that idea. Just saying that makes me immediately want to toss a couple caveats to it. Oh, yeah. Along the lines of, well, you can never bank more than two at a time or something like that. Yeah. Just because, exactly. well, hey, look, you can actually do stuff with it. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do stuff right now? But if it's, well, I've got no idea what to do with this last advantage. Or, yeah. well, um, I've already done this with my three advantage, but I've got two left over. Well, okay, yeah, you can bank that. I've already given, like, three people boosts in the scene. I don't know what to do well. I've been there with it. Yeah, some people just roll ridiculous amounts of advantage. Even because, especially with, like, my players have now figured out how to min-max, you know, as they do. As players do, you know. So they're rolling so many so many dice, they're likely to get sometimes five or six advantage in a roll. It's it's ridiculous. And then they'll like get one success. It's beautiful. Sometimes they don't know what to do with the advantage. Or they'll figure out something to do with some advantage. Like, I want three of the advantage to do this really cool thing. But now I have two advantage left over, and I guess I could give a boost to someone. But then it's just like, I don't know how story-wise I would be giving a boost to someone. So it's always like a whole thing. It'd be a cool way to like, okay, I have this extra advantage. I don't have any strain. I'll just keep it. 
Yeah. That's a good consequence. I like the idea of it. In some ways, it's taking the idea of the clocks from Blades in the Dark. A fun game, but you really got no RPGs to get into it and use it well. But you can have good clocks to go along with bad clocks. You can do X amount of successes. Like, that's the other thing is, like, skill challenges are also sort of a consequence, which you can then build up into this sort of mechanical, mechanically broken down story of how do they succeed at doing this. Mm -hmm. You could start off with, like, a knowledge underworld check and call for that. And then, okay, well, you've got success on that. Then streetwise to find the person that you found with knowledge underworld. Like, you found the existence of, now you're actually having to find the person of with a streetwise check and since you succeeded on that this is going to be a average or a hard check instead of it being formidable then you get up to them but now you need to actually deal with them because you're a mercenary group you're going to try and coerce them and then that fails horribly (laughs) they have their own protection around yeah sure you're going to do that well i've got the this duotan and i've got this basilisk what are you gonna do, man? Thump. <laughs> but you showed up here and you're showing off what your drive is like. And now, because you've succeeded on two out of the three things, you get a lesser reward for it. Yeah. But in doing so, it's how the characters, how the players have gone from what they did and then from that are now getting a result from it okay yeah using that example they have done knowledge underworld to try and track down things they then use streetwise and are very successful but they get like three or four threat and then during the middle of the conversation as they are attempting to say charm this capo because they've gotten six threat throughout the scene so far of trying to get in and talk to this capo it's at that particular point where the six threat come paying off and a rival gang is putting a hit on this capo for right now and blaster fire erupts through the bar starting to walk towards the players and the capo all because they've got too much threat in doing this <laughs> And a rival gang has now found out where they are and know that the bodyguards are out of position. What do the players do? And that's how you can use consequences and stuff to make really interesting story points. Like, that might not have been what you were planning from the beginning for that session. Like, if that happened. But it at least makes for an interesting encounter for everyone. And that's the great thing is that... I mean, sometimes consequences can be, like, kind of punishment, especially if it's something like, you know, they decided to jump, you know, flee from the cops or something, right? Uh, You know, not naming names. Um, Then maybe some consequences are like, okay, because you did this, this is happening, and that's, you know, maybe you won't do that again. But sometimes for a good story to happen, you have to have conflict, right? Yeah. Conflict is often consequences of actions. If every single thing went right, then you wouldn't have conflict in the story and it wouldn't be as interesting. So if every single skill check went right, I mean, to an extent, yeah, it'd be kind of fun for a while, but it doesn't leave as much conflict. Whereas if people are, you know, they're doing things and you're using their threat to do that kind of story thing, 
instead of just being like, okay, take strain. If you work it into the story and have consequences come from that, it's going to be a more enjoyable thing because you're creating conflict in the story that can then be resolved. And it becomes a more satisfying thing to happen instead of it just being... So instead, it can be, okay, that threat that you rolled from your, I don't know, you your skullduggery check, mm-hmm. right? You were doing a skullduggery check to try and get into this room. And you succeeded, but you rolled several threat. I can be like, okay, take strain. Or I can be like, that threat means that you set off an alarm briefly. And now you hear footsteps running towards you. So you're into the room, but there's someone right behind you. Like, I could have just flipped a destiny point and maybe done that, but it wouldn't have felt as satisfying story-wise to be like, okay, take some strain, go into the room. And now, story point, someone is coming up, like, right? That wouldn't have been as... It, there wouldn't be a connection there. Whereas when it happens as a consequence from an action, it creates a better flow. That's a really good point. Like, threat and advantage are consequences of a action. They're unintended consequences. Like, that is pretty much the definition of what they're used for. Yeah. That's the reason why they're great. They're unintended. What is the unintended consequence of succeeding on this fear rule? I don't know. I feel really good about myself. Eh, <laughs> nah, that's you're just being successful. Okay, well, an unintended consequence is, in this particular case, as this Rancor is yelling, screaming, roaring at me, having its jaw wide open, I'm able to look around and grab something. I'm able to grab something so that when this thing grabs at me, I've got something to like try and beat back its hand. <laughs> or jam in its mouth. I mean, like could be a thing. The thing of it is, it's like, okay, from this rule, I now have an action. I now have a consequence thereof. Yeah. We can use the unintended consequences to essentially ping pong us to some of the intended places where you as a GM go. Yeah, they're jumping off points. They're building blocks. Absolutely. Using threat or despair or something like that, because it's rolled, because it is random, the players and me as a GM, I don't feel it is as tied to my intent in the scene as flipping a story point. Yeah. Because flipping a story point really does feel this is a plot point. This is a story point. That this is Deus Ox Machina in action. Yeah. Yes, the players are getting something from this. Yes, it is absolutely a valid thing to happen. It's like, okay, this is the kick to get the plotting going. As opposed to, okay, this is a threat. I've got my fourth threat over here, or I've got my story point over there. And you're right, Grisa. Absolutely right. That using like the fourth threat or that despair to get something feels so much more intense. And much more rewarded to, like, okay, because there's the push to make it a narrative consequence to that role. Yeah. I am trying to intimidate these stormtroopers, and it's going horribly wrong, because, like, stormtroopers <laughs> are trained in discipline, you're attempting to coerce them, that ain't gonna work well. <sighs> yeah. Like, you've now got this boatload of threat. Well... Depending on how much threat, well, now we've got some of their allies showing up. It's like, are these ruffians bothering you, Sergeant? Could happen. Yeah. Or, you know, calling in for backup. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need you to, I need you to, I need you to calm down. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna call my supervisor to come deal with you. Like that, 
(laughs) I'll I'll just call my manager to come talk to you, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Ooh, doing that in a, um, like, just general store negotiation. (laughs) That'd be so funny. Or trying to do a deception check on stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. Just be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm here to see so-and-so. And I'm rolling my I'm rolling my deception and get too many threat. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me, ma'am. I'm going to I'm gonna have to call my supervisor about this. Uh, we don't have you on the list. I'll, they'll just be, he'll, he'll just be down in a minute. <laughs> uh, and that's a reason why using banked threat works better as a narrative device than... Flipping a story point for the same thing. Yeah. Banking eight threat over a bunch of rolls versus flipping a story point. Like, mechanically, it's the same thing. Yeah. Narratively, it's the same thing. But the banking up one here, two there, one here. Oh, this time I'm going to give you a strain, but also I'm taking the other one and banking it. Things like that. It amps the tension. Definitely. Also, you can just do it in a scene itself. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be over a session. It can just be like if if everyone seems to be just like, right? We're trying to bluff yeah. our way past the blockade, right? And everyone's trying their their go on the uh on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Every time someone gets something wrong, then okay, I'm just going to I'm just going to log that down. Right? Now you guys have reached, okay, you reached the required seven threat. Okay, they're going to start shooting at you now. Yeah. (laughs) Or doing the same sort of thing of, okay, well, you've had three or four threat on this. Now all of a sudden their demeanor towards you is going to change. Yeah, definitely. Or same with like a, like shopkeeper, like. Goodness, if you botch a negotiation check, I'm going to write down like... On this planet, you guys botched a negotiation check with this many threat. Everyone on this planet now knows. <laughs> you guys. Exactly. No one wants to negotiate with you guys anymore. It's obviously, it's automatically going to have a setback. <laughs> that guy had friends and you completely insulted him. <laughs> insulted his wares by trying to negotiate like that. Exactly. Like, that's... I know in a couple different books, they've got something about reputation. Yeah. We're kind of talking about having a reputation that follows the characters along. It doesn't necessarily have to have pure 100%, especially repetitive mechanical effects, but it's not bad if it does. Yeah. Like having a reputation with this faction of negative one. (laughs) Which then in the end means, yes, you get setback on every interaction with anyone of this faction or something close to that. Yeah. And then you knock them over again. Well, now you've got more negative reputation and it's an increase in difficulty every time you interact with them. Then you as a evil GM or really just wanting to rake the players over the coals is now the players need that faction to do something. I mean, that's just conflict. And that's just exactly makes it a fun as a GM. When I'm planning a session, I try to find a base conflict to set the session around. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's what people, at least my players like to solve something. <laughs> yeah. It makes them feel, you know, accomplished. That's what we do. So if I notice that you guys have really messed up with a faction, maybe then I'm like, okay, you know what? 
uh, we could do for conflict. We sh we could have to help this faction or need this faction. Like someone in this faction has to call on us for help. And now we're having to deal with them and they're standoffish and they don't actually want our help. But now we're, you know, we're in a situation and it's really, really touchy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something like that. And then you're using consequences from past sessions to just create more plot for you. Because, like I said, plot needs conflict. Otherwise, it's just kind of boring. There's there's no... If there's no conflict, then there's no resolution. And then what are you doing? Pretty much. I mean, that's sort of the basis behind most storytelling. Also, I want... I just want to be clear as well that when you're... Players are doing things that incur consequences. If it's not like they were doing something to be... Like they were running from the cops. Um, I, you know, not to name names. Um, <laughs> I'm never going to let them live that town. If they're not doing something that was really, really... But, you know, they were just being ridiculous and they knew they were being ridiculous. If they're doing something... And it's just like the dice are against them and you're creating a mm. consequence for them, right? You want to yes. make sure that it's like a in, in the spirit of, great, now we have something that we can do something with. Instead of making them feel like, Wahaha, now I can use this against you, right? That is a huge thing. Yeah, that can cause animosity, I feel, at yes. your table. So, like, I mean, feel free to do that when your players run from the cops and you're like, Bwahaha, now they have your license and registration. Because it's true, they do. But otherwise, if they just do something like, okay, well, you've failed this role so many times, or, you know, everyone has failed this role because I'm nice and I let everyone try it sometimes in different ways, then it can just be like, okay, well, now we have something else that we're doing. Isn't this cool? What has happened from this? <laughs> That approach really blunts a lot of the animosity that can grow up because everyone is attempting to figure out, well, what is this? What is that? How is the story progressing from this? It can bring everyone in. But yet, yeah, yeah. there are nights where just everyone is rolling horribly or worse. All the players are rolling horribly and then the GM is rolling great. Yeah. And everyone's like, have you rigged this? It's like, I promise you, I have not. No, we haven't gotten in touch with Sky Jedi and Rick D1. <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> I don't have some special role on Discord that, that denotes me as the GM, and then Dicebot gives me preferential treatment. Not saying that that's an idea at all. I mean, get in touch but. with us. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that can be the way of dice. Like, some nights it can be the dice are just running cold. Yeah. Sometimes... It's failure after failure, threat after threat. And sometimes that's the way the story goes. But it's trying to make it into, well, this isn't the way that I was expecting the story to go, but I'm excited to see where it is going. As a GM, that is my core uh, attitude. Yeah. Since I decided to start doing, creating scenes instead of puzzles, it has morphed my expectations into this is my, uh, since I no longer have a solution for the puzzle, mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out how the heck this scene ends. I want to know. <laughs> it's like, this is a mystery to me. I have just given you this thing that's been bouncing around in my head for two weeks. Can you please solve this so that all of us can get through this? I'm in it with you guys. I have given you guys 
this scene. Now you guys get to act it out for me. Okay, mm-hmm. let's see where it goes. Or you're a planning GM and you've planned out every way that you can conceive that the players are going to get through this. You've got, okay, I've got this combat. If this character starts combat, I've got this combat. If that character starts combat, I've got this character. If this one's yapping too much (sighs) because they like doing coercion checks, but they've got like one will and one rank. So it's just one yellow and a green. They always put the dice in. So yeah, they don't do it that often. But they're yappy. Like, it's their character. I really want to play that character now. But that's beside the point. They're just always doing this. And how do I get the reaction for the NPCs out of what the characters are doing? So I've got all these ideas planned. But then the players decide to sit back. It's at the start of a session, so they aren't in the goofy mentality of everyone being somewhat sleepy. And it's like, all right, yeah, let's do it this way. They do this amazingly good tactical sense, and like, yes, we're going to have this person get into a hide. This person is going to stand up and close, but not too close, so that they're actually at short range, not actually engaged. <laughs> and like, they do this really detailed plan, and then all the roles go to heck. Yeah, person who is acting as bait is standing there, and they succeed. They get the person right into place, but. They've got two thread on the roll. So I then allow the wonderful two thread thing of, hey, look, they have now moved. And they are now close and at engaged range. So the sniper is now having to make a more difficult shot. The sniper still takes it. But in because they're shooting into engaged, they roll a despair. And they're slight. The way everything is, they shoot the arm of the person as they're shooting at the stormtrooper, grazing them, doing whatever base damage on the rifle is, which it's a rifle, so probably large, (laughs) as a person crumples. And they were supposed to be there to create a distraction, but now the distraction's gone. Each action having this weird reaction as people's just rolls start, maybe they're succeeding, but they're getting boatloads and boatloads of threat. (laughs) And it's like, things are going right, but they're going wrong too. First off, that is the beauty of Genesis. The dice system created that, and it is amazing. Yeah. The other part to it is you don't have to be mean. Yeah, you don't have to be mean about your results. No. You can have fun with them. Yeah, you can have it so that, all right, they stomp on the accelerator, and they get Mm -hmm. the success, but they've got four threat from it. So now, say it's a V4 engine, all of a sudden, one of the pistons goes. (laughs) And the spark plug on it is shot. Because when they pumped the gas, there was a surge in the electrical system, and now one of the pistons isn't working. <laughs> They're not going as fast. Yeah. The buildup of the consequences in a scene and then just also in the narrative. It's the part of role-playing and GMing that I adore, but it's the part that makes players want to come back. Yeah. Because in doing that, then they have action on, uh, they have an effect both positive and negative. And especially if you let them help out with some things. Like, sometimes they can... I've had my players give suggestions of what a threat does. I don't have to take their suggestions, but sometimes they give really good suggestions. And if I take their suggestion, then they're less likely to get mad about it, even if it's ridiculous and, like, way worse than what I would have done. One time I had a player get a despair... 
uh, and she was playing as a she was playing as a djinn, which is uh, what the mythical creatures that genies are based off of, right? Yeah. And if djinn are given copper, then the person who gives them the copper is then like enslaves them basically, and they have to do what that person says. So she made a role. And she succeeded in trying to get this guy, I can't remember exactly what was happening, to give her what he was holding. But she also made a despair. And so he gives it to her. And she looks at me and she says, you should, you should say it's copper. I'm like, oh my god, that's a great idea. And the despair is that it's copper. And now you can't do anything. He doesn't notice yet. So it was great. She gave me like a great idea. And because she's the one who came up with it, she was okay <laughs> with the fact that I used that. Your players have great ideas. And sometimes it's awesome to listen to their ideas, especially since they're going to be less frustrated with a player's idea for threat or a despair than what you come up with, even if it's the same exact thing. Because if it comes from someone on their own team, quote unquote, then it will feel less bad. That is such a core thing. Even though we're not playing against each other, there's still a little bit where it feels like it, right? There's still that kind of feeling of, well, we're really playing against each other. There's also, it's, well, I'm doing this to your character, but if you suggest this then that means you are already somewhat accepting it. Yeah. Like, my final example of this is going to my... Uh, since we seem to be uh, going about our two big ones, uh, <laughs> going with Kev, falling from yeah. medium distance. <laughs> what, like, for that, Christine was pretty much ready to start rolling up a new character. To <laughs> proverbial. Like, crush from there, okay, well, let's get... I'm at... Eight wounds past double my threshold. Oh, so let's start doing crit rolls on that. So it was just, it was 30 damage, plus Cav was already injured at the time. So I was like, all right, yeah, they were past double their wound threshold. It was just disturbing. <laughs> but then I decided to go more, I don't know, silly things like rules is written. <laughs> or something closer to rules is written, where it's, yes. Each time you go past, it is a crit. Not every yeah. point past. Because, like, but the thing is, Christine would have accepted that. Yeah. Sometimes the players will suggest something, and it's a good suggestion that is cruel, but something that they're willing to deal with. Or sometimes they're giving, well, what their fear is, and you're not wanting to go that far. Yeah. Just because a player suggests it doesn't mean you have to use it. Oh, definitely not. But if the players suggest it, you can use it. That can be a really useful and fun thing. Yeah. So, Risa, what is your final thought on consequences for players and player characters? I think that consequences are something that are pretty much incredibly necessary for when you're playing a role-playing game to, one, make sure that the players feel like they're affecting their situation so that they don't feel like they're just on a, like a, an amusement park ride and so that you have something to build off of for conflict for, but not actual conflict. You know what I mean? Not mechanical, but, uh, <laughs> but, 
but for plot-wise, so that you have something to resolve for your players. Those are my thoughts on the matter. And you, Ben? My final thought really comes to the Genesis system works so well because you can build consequences off of a roll. You can bank threat. You can get that despair. The system itself, the dice itself, beg for you to interpret them in a narrative fashion. Okay, I have one success and three threat. What does that look like? That what does that look like is so core. It applies to the GM. It applies to the players. I'm wanting to take this hydro spanner and smack this droid zombie over the dome with it. All right, now how does that look now that you have successfully done it, but you now have four threat? And you've done enough damage to take this minion out. Okay, well, I I smack at this astromech droid that has its arc welder out that is trying to zap me. But I've been able to get past its soak. I've been able to get past its wound threshold and cause it to go inactive. But in doing so, as it falls back, the still active arc welder touches the hydro spanner and zaps me for four points of strain. As I go flying back, it's the narrative around the pure mechanics that turn it into such an intense narrative. I knew paying the barkeep to double the potency of those drinks was going to pay off. They're barely able to get to their feet. Uh, Risa, I think it's time to go. It's not often I'm able to drink a Trandoshan under the table. Yes, I do in fact think it's time to go. I take all my winnings off the table and wink to the gank as I hightail it out of the bar. I can still hear him yelling after me, calling me a cheater as I leave the building. What? So I had a couple extra cards. You can't blame a girl for something like that. (laughs) Join us next time on another enthusiastic tale from the Hydean Way. We can be found on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and I can be found at Cookie Kit. And I'm at Deuterium Ice. We are all at thehydeanway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about on the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. You can drop us a holocom at tales at thehydeanway.com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. And if you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash the Hydean Way. Or you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash the Hydean Way.